All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Myself and Brian are joined by a guest today, the nutrition maven, Rebecca Nolan. Rebecca, Hello. how are you? I am great. It is an honor and a privilege to be here. As Thanks it should for coming be, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rebecca, for anybody that doesn't know you, do you want to do a bit of an origin story for us? <laughs> Yes, it started from a young age. Um, no. So when I was uh, in college, I was doing my psychology degree. Uh, so that is what my undergrad is in. And I started uh, powerlifting. Um, and when I started getting into going to the gym and lifting weights, um, I was wondering, how should I eat? You know, uh, is there a particular way you're supposed to eat to support going to the gym? I had like a couple of different, you know, common, common sense things that I thought I was supposed to be doing. Um, but I started to research more into nutrition and I became obsessed with it, uh, like even more so than I was into lifting. I got really obsessed with nutrition. Um, and thankfully, because I was doing a science degree, um, I kind of knew what were considered reliable sources. So I went more towards the science um, and the research compared to some traps that people fall into of like listening to some gurus. So I was very fortunate that I kind of went straight into the evidence based side of nutrition but I was just studying it like in my own time um, while I was doing my degree lifting was a hobby um, and then when I graduated and I got my regular full-time job which is related to psychology um, I decided I wanted to kind of formalize my education a bit more in nutrition um, there were a couple of reasons for that first of all it was just you know a chance to learn more about nutrition which I was really interested in the other reason was that I had developed a little bit of a following on Instagram because I had kind of been sharing um like my lifting journey, as well as like what I was eating to, to support my lifting um, and the, the science behind it. And people found that really interesting. But because I didn't have a degree in nutrition or anything official to say that I knew what I was talking about, I had like a little bit of imposter syndrome. So for that reason, and the fact that I was just eager to learn more about nutrition, I did a nutrition course. Um, so I did that course, became a certified nutritionist, and that's pretty much my background. And Instagram is still the main place that I communicate about nutrition. It's probably where most people have heard of me from. Um, I have like about 16,000 followers, um, which isn't massive, but like it's a, it's, a good, it's a good following. It's a nice base and people are very engaged with the nutrition content that I post there. Um, so yeah, that's my background. Very good. Very good. We're also very engaged with the bulb content. Oh yeah, I also have a very adorable cat. <laughs> and to be honest, the cat gets more engagement than my nutrition posts do, but that's mm. understandable because he's adorable. Yeah. So something that's interesting about your origin story here, well, like aside from the fact you don't work in nutrition, right? But you do you do communicate nutrition with the good people on Instagram. Um, but what stands out for me is the fact that you went straight to the evidence based sources rather than what most of us would end up with is you know I, I certainly know that I gravitated towards the guru side of things and um, when I was getting into lifting and learning about nutrition and, and how that interrelates um, you know bodybuilding.com etc reading those articles so like <clears throat> when you say evidence-based sources do you literally mean you're just going on PubMed and finding papers to read about nutrition uh, or there, were there any people that you found to be good evidence-based sources back then when you started rather than yeah. now necessarily? So there were two and I, I still consider them good evidence-based sources today. So that's comforting. Um, but yeah, so it was a mix of both. So I think, um, cause I've tried to think back and like, how did I go down the various paths I went down to like find the right people and know where to look and all of that stuff. Um, and honestly, I think it all started from Reddit because Reddit is where I learned about lifting. So there's like a subreddit for female fitness. It's called XS Fit, XX Fitness, um, like double X chromosome fitness. Um, and they're really into lifting. Um, and I found that subreddit and I just got really interested in like the content and they have a wiki on there. And the wiki is uh, like, you know, respected um, programs. Uh, the people who built those programs are like well-known in the industry. And there was also some information within the subreddit about nutrition. So that's definitely one place that I found information. And I don't know if that's where I discovered Lane Norton or if it was somewhere else, like another rabbit hole that I went down. But I did discover Lane Norton um, and I started consuming his content. Um, and then I found his podcast, which at the time he was doing with Sohee Lee. 
Um, and so I just like devoured that like I listened to it like whenever I had free time I was listening to that podcast like putting makeup on in the morning like walking to college in breaks from lectures like I was obsessed and then through Lane because they would have like different guests on I kind of developed that web of like okay that's the person who knows about like Lucene or like okay he works with Brad Schoenfeld and Brad Schoenfeld is like an expert on hypertrophy so I was able to like find the evidence-based people who were doing the research and then read their research so like that's kind of how I I've made my way into the actual research papers and then um Sci-Hub was something that we used in college anyway to get access to psychology papers so I knew that I could like get Sci-Hub access to nutrition papers so I wasn't like paying for you know journal memberships or anything I was getting them the bad way um but yeah and then I so it was Elaine Norton's podcast and then somehow I also discovered Danny Lennon so he was doing Sigma Nutrition podcast at the time probably quite early days I think this was probably like I think what year it would have been maybe like 2014 or something like that, like a good couple of years ago, maybe like eight or nine years ago. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of early days. But again, like I found Danny, all of the guests that he had on, all of that amazing content. Um, so that's kind of like how I, yeah, how I made my way in there. Hmm. Yeah, very good. It's a nice way to get involved rather than me just going home after school every day and reading charlespoliquin.com. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I got quite lucky that way. But like, I mean, even like as I was starting out, I was still like, you know, I think when you grow up, at least for me, like you have an idea of what healthy is. So like before I started actually looking at nutrition content, I just started lifting. I was like, okay, I need to eat healthy. So that was like corn cakes with chocolate on them was like my idea of a treat. Like it was terrible. Um, but that phase was like, I would say a couple of weeks until I was like, okay researching what I should be eating and finding all of these people being like oh I don't actually need to eat corn cakes like that's not healthy that's not going to help my lifting um I can eat like other things that, like if it fits your macros and all of that stuff um which Lane was like a huge proponent of, of at the time so yeah that was that was the history mm. I find Lane Norton from uh do you remember Vegan Gains on YouTube yes remember he used to just blast people you just like you yeah. just make videos just destroying going into just like oftentimes it wasn't even like uh it wasn't even abusing their their knowledge it was like their character and all these kind of things so it was just but i finally and from from him um interestingly um yeah i feel like did lane make a response to vegan games i feel like there might have been a back and forth there it's a long it's a right few years ago now um from from that happened but I, th I think he did because i think he was the only one that had like you know either had the the acumen to properly respond to him mm -hmm. um because a lot of the other guys he was like he was ripping into like thomas devour you know that keto guy you know who's like clearly has no idea what he's talking about anyway so mm -hmm. i think lane was like one of the only ones that, that that was actually able to to hit back against him nice yeah and i think like lane still puts out great content i think like he is like a little bit of a controversial character for some people and he's definitely like his personality is very strong and some people don't like it but like in terms of the content that he puts out and the way that he educates people about nutrition like it's still fantastic he's been going for years he really knows what he's doing and how to communicate um in a really great way hmm. yeah yeah he's yeah. a strong personality but i would say like in comparison to some other individuals in the industry like he's still you know i would still consider him to be a good person you know yeah. like he's not he's not a complete asshole in a sense like he just exactly he, he uh he's he has strong opinions on the things that he believes in, which is admirable you know yeah yeah and i think i don't know um why that podcast ended up like discontinuing but like i think i also found like sohi through that podcast so i think she was doing her was it her master's or maybe even her undergrad under Lane, like Lane was her supervisor. So they're doing the podcast together. And now she's also like continued doing that and she's putting out amazing content too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's like, um, it's nice that the people who I initially followed are still going strong and communicating great information. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're very good sources. I remember listening to that podcast a lot as well uh, back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all very good. Like Lane and or kind of indirectly through lane like where i first came across the whole if it fits your macros concept yes. 
actually now that like all of these memories are coming back to me so I think what it was is that one of the very first uh powerlifting programs that I ever did was Lane Norton's it was either full or fat it was like power hypertrophy upper lower like that's a pro- the program and I would imagine that I probably did that program and discovered him and found all the nutrition content so that's probably that I'm gonna guess that's how I found him but his powerlifting um, and training advice like he was kind of the power builder person before yeah. power building was really a thing um so yeah that was uh, I just remembered that fond memories yeah the the fat definitely rings a bell I don't know about the full is that what you said it was yeah, called it was yeah power hypertrophy upper lower full oh okay mm. so it was a thing so okay I never came across that um mm. but yeah good good resources okay that's that's fun to know yeah so well we will we discuss the topic of today in in some fashion um so we got we got Rebecca on to talk a little bit about nutrition for powerlifting bodybuilding resistance training as a, as a broad categorization, but I'll put this question to you, Rebecca, to, to, to get started. I am a cardio bunny. I, I just go to the gym to do cardio, right? I don't, the weight, seeing all those muscly lads over there, that spooks me. That freaks me out a little mm-hmm. bit. Convince me to go over there and lift some heavy things. What, what would you say to someone if they, if they went to you with this here information? Well, first, I don't judge you, Dean. If you want to do cardio, that's totally fine by me. Um, But I would encourage you to do some resistance training alongside your cardio. And there's so many reasons. Like, there's probably, like, if you think of, like, what makes up well-being, like, there's sleep and hydration and nutrition and social. Like, there's probably that for, like, all of the reasons that lifting can be beneficial from, like, health to, you know, making friends in the gym and having an outlet and going outside, like, and all of that. There's so much that goes into the health component of it as well. So I will kind of go maybe towards the top two that I, I kind of would run by people if they if they approach me with this. So the first one is if you are a cardio bunny, I might be um, being a bit sexist here, but I'm going to assume that you're female, um, particularly if you're intimidated by all of the muscly guys in the gym. Um, so one of the reasons that weightlifting is so amazing as a female is how it makes you feel when you feel strong. So like to see yourself making progress Uh, week to week when you start out and developing your strength and there's something really empowering about it so that's probably reason number one so like regardless of all of the health stuff and why it's good for you and all of that it just feels great and you feel really empowered and strong and it grows your confidence and that's just a huge part of it and then the second part is of course all of the health benefits that go along with it um within the health side there's body composition too so if you're Uh, carrying maybe a little bit of excess fat and you start to build muscle like there's a lot of um, health benefits that come along with body composition changes which people can also enjoy but just building muscle um, has a lot of health benefits um, both in the immediate term and the long term as you age so we know that you're less likely to have falls break bones get injured and it has lots of correlations with living longer living a healthier life um so there's, there's a ton of both like near-term and longer-term benefits for weightlifting. And a, a subcomponent of that is the, the body composition changes that can often come along with it. But they're not something that I, I like to focus on too much as a benefit of weightlifting because if you get into it just to change how your body looks, you're probably not going to stick with it. It's really like the process that's enjoyable. And when you focus on like making progress in the gym, the body composition changes just kind of come along with that. Whereas if you focus on the body composition changes, um, it can kind of take away from actually making progress and, and doing things the correct way. But yeah, two big goals. Like happy to dive into them in more depth if you want, but feeling empowered and strong and confident and then all of the health benefits of which there are so many that come along with resistance training. Yeah, it's kind of like um, the way I kind of look at jujitsu, just to sort of as a, as a side note, because um, some people, because well, just when you mentioned the whole, the difference between wanting it for body composition versus wanting it for strength, it's kind of like some people do jujitsu because it's like, I'm going to use this on the street kind of thing, where it's <laughs> yeah. like, if you, if you do jujitsu because of the competitive nature of it, and because you want to get better as a skill, I feel like that's more conducive to sticking at it in the long term, in the same way that you know, obviously the body composition stuff is good about the gym, but that sort of progression 
towards getting stronger and feeling better over time. I think if you're focusing on that element of it a little bit more, it's going to keep you at, keep you doing it and keep the habit up uh, for, you know, basically the rest of your life. At least that's what I've noticed yeah. with a lot of clients, you know? Yeah, definitely. I also think like, cause you, you brought this up in your hypothetical example, that's definitely not about you. Um, about baby being intimidated by lads in the gym who look kind mm. of muscly or, um, I, I think it comes back to like feeling insecure about what you're doing and being afraid that people will judge you in the gym if you're in there starting out weightlifting. And like, there's so many ways to tackle that. Like if you hire a PT who can bring you through the movements and you're not alone in the gym and you can, you know, gain, gain confidence through using the machines and then going towards the free weights and just building up your confidence over time with somebody to guide you. Um, or like I, I just went straight in and like I, I'm a very socially awkward, introverted, shy person. So I was super nervous when I started out in the gym. Um, and gym anxiety was definitely like a real thing. So even when you get comfortable in your own gym, it can be really um, like worrying and anxiety inducing if you need to move gym. So like if you move house and you have to join a new gym, um, it can flare up again and it's completely normal. And you just need to go in there and just do your thing. And you like you, you it's kind of like exposure therapy, like you will get over it over time. Um, and I think once you're there, if you're like, oh, no, like people are looking at me, people are judging me. If you just take a second and be like, am I looking at other people? Like, am I judging other people? Like, nobody's thinking like that in the gym. Everybody's just focused on what they're doing and worried about, like, other people thinking about them. But everybody's too busy thinking about are other people thinking about themselves. Like, it's just like, uh, it's not it's not realistic to have those kinds of thoughts. So if you take a second and reflect, you can kind of, like, calm yourself down as well. But, yeah, it's kind of like you, you need to push to get started. And whether that's just, like, going in and make, making yourself go through it and you'll overcome it as time progresses or going with a PT who can kind of show you the ropes and help you gain that confidence before you go off on your own. Like there's, there's different ways you can go about it. Yeah. There's a lot more that goes into it when you do move gym, like even, even people are experienced with going to the gym, you know, yeah. I've been, I've been lifting for, Oh, like what, 14, 15 years or something now. And like me and Fiona joined a gym down in Cork there just for a month because I was down there quite a bit this month and it's a cool bodybuilding gym um and she was doing a bodybuilding type program and i was like all right, i want to use all their nice bits of machines and machinery and stuff but there's like there's a lot of shit in there that i hadn't seen before mm. uh, yeah, i'm looking at it like what the hell is that and like and what what how do you use it because like it doesn't always have the label on it to yeah. say what it is so there's like there was a, a hammer strength i'm, I'm like 90 percent sure it's a split squat station right but so you, you throw your foot up on this thing and this handles so it looks mm. like you could do shrugs with it um which you may be able to do but i think i'm pretty sure it's built for doing split squats um but yeah i was looking at it for like one or two sessions and then i was, I was opposite it on the hack squat and then it suddenly came to me when i remembered i do split squats later i was like ah that would work for this so you can be super experienced but if you're going into a different environment or like jesus i went i was in the our strength institute recently with my friend uh, robbie works there and like they have all mad shit that you that no other gyms in the country have, like those wobbly barbells and stuff. And it's like, yeah. like you know, I've never seen this before, and that's like another level of it. But yeah, I mean, it's always going to be some like a bit of figuring out, and like that's part of the fun. It's like, okay, cool, new gym. Let's try and figure out what the hell is going on here and what looks similar mm. to. Uh, another thing that we often see arise in this conversation is okay so maybe the maybe dean is is no longer you know worried or anxious about going into the weight section but maybe he's thinking geez i don't want to get like overly muscular if I, mm -hmm. by starting to lift weights like obviously we're kind of joking here and like it is more of a more of a female situation we're talking about in this case right especially for the fear of gaining too much muscle mass so do you want to Tell us a bit about how to allay that fear, potentially. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I, I, I don't want to be like condescending in my, in my answer. Like, I, I want to give like a good explanation, but like, essentially, like, it's, that's not going to happen. Like, if it was that easy to gain muscle, like bodybuilding competitions would not be a thing. Like, it wouldn't be competitive. We'd all be walking around pretty jacked. Um, it's not easy to gain muscle. Well, 
as a female, it's pretty hard. Some people have better genetics and they are more capable of gaining muscle, but even women who are naturally muscular, they're not bulky. Um, and they often have physiques that if you saw them like on a magazine or whatever, you'd be like, oh, I want to look like that. So um, I think the the kind of typical thing that we think of when we think bulky, we're often thinking of females who have been enhanced. So like using performance enhancing drugs and are on like the Olympia stage or something like that. And that's just not what a normal gym goer looks like. So those people are on that stage. Like you see crazy pictures of them on the internet because they are not the norm. They are the outliers. So for the casual person going to the gym, it's you're not going to just wake up one day and be bulky. I almost wish that was the case because some females want to gain a lot of muscle, including myself. And it's really difficult. Mm. So I've been training how long? I probably like seven or eight years. Um, and you can't tell that I lift. It's really hard to gain muscle um, without without taking steroids. Um, so I, I would completely assuage that fear. It's um, a very unlikely um, that you're going to end up bulky and even if even if you started to notice uh, like after I don't know two years of training that you're starting to gain a little bit of muscle like you don't you don't have to keep gaining muscle you know there's different styles of training you could just not eat as much protein like there's lots there's lots of different tactics you could use to reduce the muscle gain as well not not that I think that would ever really be a situation that somebody would want to want to do that but yeah it's um I don't think it's a realistic uh, fear yeah yeah, mostly comes back to the like not having high enough testosterone levels to have those levels of anabolism that you're going to gain lots and lots of muscle tissue. And, you know, exactly, you know, guys are hell bent on building muscle mass quite often. And it's still a difficult process, even though we have higher levels of testosterone. So, yeah, it's it's really it's really tough. Um, I like even for guys, it can be quite difficult. And mm. for girls with our hormone profile, which just doesn't support like huge amounts of muscle gain uh it's even harder so yeah it's um it's not something that women need to worry about yeah i've met one girl in my whole life who gained muscle fast enough that she wanted to take it off again like no once way. ever um and look it was a girl i went to college with uh, she was really into training really strong i thought she looked great uh and then she wanted to move into like triathlon um so she didn't need as much muscle mass and she yeah started doing loads of cardio and eating less protein and um to try and an attempt to lose some of the muscle tissue she's built uh and i was just there like crying in the corner like why stop it stop that, it yeah that is one use case that like people would actively want to use muscle it's normal or yeah lose muscle it's not for like aesthetic reasons not because they don't like how they look it's mm. because they have got found a new sport and actually weighing less will make them more competitive so you see that sometimes with cyclists um, they'll deliberately try and lose muscle so that they're lighter on the bike um, and it can improve their performance so like in these circumstances it, it kind of makes sense um, but it, I've never encountered it for aesthetic reasons like people feel like they're too bulky or like have too much muscle it's, it's very rare yeah you hate to see it yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's for for someone like me it's like I have like capped my muscle building potential for many years now. It's like to hear that story of somebody like wanting to lose muscle. It's just like, yeah. It's just, well, the other thing is like, again, coming back to the health component is like the more muscle you have naturally, um, the better that is going to be for you as you age, particularly for females. So females were at increased risk of like osteoporosis and um you know bone issues and weightlifting is and like increases bone mineral density so weightlifting for both your bone health and muscle which will prevent your likelihood for falls um and so on like it's just good all around so like the more muscle you build the better for both health and it can actually you know really improve body composition so it's like good aesthetically um it's not going to you know you're not going to wake up and look like Arnold one day it's um I wish it kind of worked like that, but unfortunately <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. And I think there's an element there as well. Like, there's a benefit for especially females pursuing muscle gain because I know we haven't got into this yet quite, but it, the diet, what that diet will look like is a lot better arguably than the girl who's just chronically trying to eat in a, in a large calorie deficit you know, so the girl who's saying like, I'm trying to get stronger here. I'm trying to put on muscle tissue. You're going to be eating more nutrients. They're going to be more calories. 
they're going to have a bit like an easier, more flexible time living their life outside of training. You know, if they want to go and lights out, if they want to have meals with friends and stuff. So that's another big piece to it where if your goal is not just to be like the smallest version of yourself, you know, life can have a lot of different uh, benefits, let's say. Yeah. I mean, that's another one of those benefits in the wheels is that like, it can really change your attitude towards yourself, like towards your body, towards like dieting culture. Like it can, your mindset completely shifts because you've gone from the circumstance where you're just focused, like you said, on being smaller to being, to wanting to be strong and like build up your capacity in the gym and you need to eat to do that. And like people's relationship with food can completely shift and your relationship towards yourself. Like, again, it's kind of tied to the empowerment thing, but like, if you see yourself getting stronger and more capable as you, as you go to the gym and as you lift heavier and heavier weights, like that, that does amazing things for like your relationship towards yourself because you're not viewing your body as something that needs to be smaller. You're viewing it as something that's like strong and capable and like, you're the one that's doing all of that like it's all on you you're the one going to the gym you're the one pushing yourself so it's it's really great from that aspect as well yeah 100 yeah i know from speaking to girls that do go on a, a journey of building muscle and strength as you say like it is very empowering for them like one in particular you can always think like she was she had very good genetics um for strength building and muscle building um and she was like stronger than most of the lads in the gym and she would always like say to me it's just like yeah it's it's nice to be stronger than most of the lads in here let alone the girls like you know it's just it's like yes it, it probably feels really good to be stronger as a woman than the yeah. average man like you know yeah it's like, amazing it's like i mean you don't you don't want to take so much pride in it but sometimes like you should it's like you see lads in the gym who are lifting less than you and you're like i'm stronger like you're just completely smashing stereotypes and that's a really feeling yeah yeah for sure so what about like we, we've convinced the cardio bunny to to lift some damn weights right um but what do we do like if we want to like support recovery from strength training so let, let's just make the assumption that the strength training the strength training plan is perfect it's it's exactly what this person needs but what what do they do outside the gym that's gonna have a good effect on the results good question um so there's a couple of different things i think just for my area of expertise we can focus on nutrition but brian i'm sure you have like lots about sleep um and all of that good stuff that goes that are other parts of um recovery but from the nutrition aspect um you i'm sure people have seen this before but it's kind of like a pyramid of priorities and the base of that pyramid so the most important thing is that you're eating enough food so that you're actually fueling yourself your body has the energy that it needs to recover um, and that's something that women struggle with, particularly if they went from the cardio bunny mindset of like move as much as po possible, eat as little as possible. And if they're coming from a background of uh, extensive dieting, it can feel really scary to try and increase calories. Um, it's probably a mistake that a lot of women make when they start weightlifting is eating too little, but you need to increase food. Um, so once we have our calories we're feeling uh, at the right level then we can start to worry about some of the other stuff like okay how much protein are you eating um how like what does your meal frequency look at, look like are you like fasting are you not eating around your training so there's a couple of like um more advanced things that we can start to look at with nutrition um to figure out like are you uh, supporting your recovery optimally so i go from calories and then probably just go to protein um, which if we're focused on women is also something that we struggle with. We often don't eat enough protein. Um, I think there's some research to support that like men just have more of a taste, like a preference, a natural preference towards protein compared to women. Um, but there's obviously ways around this as well. So um, it's, a, it's a matter of, first of all, looking at how much protein you're eating. Are you having protein with every meal? You don't need to start weighing things and tracking things or anything, but just looking at, at the composition of your meals and figuring out like, okay, am I, am I eating protein with every meal or is it more like I'm just having pasta and there's no protein with it? So looking for small wins where you might be able to just introduce like, okay, maybe I can have some chicken with my pasta. So slowly starting to increase protein amounts. And if you are completely against, like you're just, you don't have a taste for protein, you really don't like meat or whatever it is, or maybe you're vegetarian, 
protein shakes, this is probably a good chance to just like plug that they're totally fine. Um, if you're having like one protein shake a day, there's absolutely no need to worry. If you're getting most of your protein from protein shakes, so there's like a spectrum there, probably not ideal. Uh, one or two protein shakes a day is fine, particularly if you struggle to get your protein because it is important and it does feel recovery. Um, so I would move, yeah, calories and then protein. Um, we could get really deep into protein, like protein quality, protein timing. Um, but I'll pause there just to see, do you have any questions about those two? I don't. That's some pretty solid advice to start off with, yeah. Or anything that you would add? Yeah, it's uh, good advice. I don't have anything to add as such, just on the, the point you made about like how many protein shakes a day is appropriate. Like, yes, I wouldn't want to see someone consuming all their protein from protein shakes. But if it's a choice between not consuming enough protein and consuming enough, mostly through shakes, we'd all take the shakes in yes. that situation. Yeah. And I, I think that's another point is like, there's, optimal being optimal is great you know it's ideal if you're like eating the perfect amount of calories eating all of your vegetables eating the exact protein amount spacing it out even like that's great but that's often not that realistic um and there are days like I know I have days where I'm like in meetings from like literally 6 a.m until 9 p.m like they're really long crazy days I don't have time to cook I forgot to meal prep whatever if I just have to consume protein shakes that day to get my protein in like fine you know like so I I really don't like being like a optimal everything all the time like it's not realistic and I think like there's also nothing wrong with just having days where your nutrition is not that great um if you miss eating protein at all in one day it's not the end of the world either um but yeah if you're if it's a choice of like not hitting your protein or having a load of protein shakes protein shakes all the way mm, yeah and I think like because we, we have a lot of convenient protein options in, in shops and stuff like that these days, you know, like even protein bars and the small pots of, of like high protein yogurt, the, you know, like the cheese strings, there's, you know, even just packets of meat, like going in and getting, you know, packet of ham or, or beef or, or cooked chicken or whatever it is like, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it doesn't need to get your protein in. I think it doesn't require that you slow cook a beef joint for eight hours, you know, that's lovely. You know, that's nice. And from a cooking perspective, yes, that's great. But like, you know, don't, don't limit yourself to everything. As you say, Rebecca, to be like, has to be perfectly optimal all the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I, I'm thinking you reminded me of like college days when I got into lifting and I was like protein all the time, I would buy packs of ham and like bring them with me to lectures. And I would just be in lectures eating packs of ham and people would be looking at me like, what the hell (laughs) this is not normal um so yeah like there are very convenient options some of them might be a bit weird but like yeah there's there's options for sure yeah it's it can be quite easy um like me and fiona had pizza on halloween and just earlier that day i bought two pre-cooked chicken breasts that had some like chili garlic seasoning on them and then just instantly added like you know, 60 grams of protein to that meal, which I needed, you know, based on how the day was running. And the fact there's not that much protein in pizza. So it's made it super simple. I'm just like, all right, now this meal is actually complete in a sense. You know? Yeah. And sometimes, I don't know if you find this as well, but like those pre-cooked chicken breasts, at least the ones that I've had, they're really good. Like I, I kind of sometimes get them like if I'm both lazy and want to treat because they're kind of pricey as well compared to just cooking the chicken yourself. Yeah. But like if I'm in a rush, I'll grab a pack of those grab bread, toast the bread, put some cheese on it and just throw the chicken on top. And I'm like chicken sandwich toasting, loads of protein. In it. Not that nutrient dense from like a vegetable fruit perspective, but like it does the job. Um, and from like a lifting perspective, that's what you want. You want to be eating. Uh, you want to be like eating enough calories and you want your protein. Like those are the two pillars. Um, so yeah, if you're getting that in, however you do it, ideally that's not what every day looks like, but it's, it's, it's an option. Yeah. Um, so obviously we're, we're talking about the, the priorities when it comes to nutrition for lifting. Um, I was going to frame the question to you as like, what are the biggest mistakes you see people making with their nutrition in terms of supporting their, their strength training, or resistance training, whatever way you want to put it. Like aside from, because we've already covered, covered essentially not eating enough calories and not eating, eating enough protein, right? So we've covered that. Um, 
so what what else do you see as being some of the main mistakes that people make uh, when in the pursuit of strength and muscle mass so there's a couple I'm also really interested in your guys's view on this as well because like I don't have clients right so I'm just going off like what I'm I've gathered from like people who ask me questions on Instagram and messages and people that I know personally as well who are into lifting so I'll throw, throw a few out there but I'd love to like hear from you guys as well um so one of them is supplements so people get into the gym and they're like cool I need all of the supplements because that's what you do all of these supplements say I'm going to gain muscle and burn fat and I want them all. So I think people go really heavy into the supplement world, uh, not understanding what they're buying or consuming. Um, and they actually miss like the pillars of their diet that would probably be more helpful and other elements of their lifestyle, like sleep and, you know, adequate programming and rest days, all of the other stuff that would be far more beneficial than the supplements that, were t- that they're taking. So that's one of them. And probably the other one is, um, like diet traps like so finding a guru who says that like actually keto is the best thing for gym or performance cutting all of the carbs out of their diet which is really not not good for from a weightlifting muscle gain recovery perspective like carbs are carbs are important and so I think those are two it's like following a, a fad um because I heard that it's really good for you know strength or strength or muscle gain and then all of the supplements as well that people kind of fall into what about you guys? What do you think? Hmm. I would agree with like, obviously what you said, but I suppose the main one there, as you were saying earlier about calories, um, total calories and particularly timing around your, your training with, with some of those calories, not in the sense that like you must eat a, a protein, you must have a protein shake after your workout or any of this crack more so that some people that they're trying to build muscle, they might like have something at two and then train at like six or seven. And there's this mm-hmm. very large window um, where they're, where they haven't added anything else in there. So that's either they haven't had much before their workout or their calories are too low in general. Um, I think that's a big mistake people make because as, as me and Brian done a podcast on muscle building a few weeks ago, unfortunately as nutritionists, we have to admit that nutrition is secondary to training whenever it comes to building muscle. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're not eating enough to go into the gym and train hard, then you're leaving gains on the table, shall we say. Um, yep. So I think that that's a, that's a big mistake that people make. Obviously, total calories and protein is important as, as a first uh, port of call. But you know, if you're leaving large gaps and you're going to the gym, maybe and you've not had any carbohydrates to give you that little bit of an extra boost, or you're going in hungry or underfueled. And this is for athletes in general, but specifically for for people that's building muscle you need to have that fuel to train hard to create the stimulus to tell your body put some muscle on here please so that would be a big one for me that that kind of ties quite nicely into another thing that i see people doing so like up till now we've been talking a lot about like noob people so people who are just getting into weightlifting so like going for cardio training but what i see like more developed trainees do is like being obsessed with being like at a particular uh like body fat percentage like wanting to be lean pretty much all of the time and they're not willing to like actually eat enough like they want to recomp they want to lose fat and gain muscle at the same time and that's like they're almost like going in circles rather than just like putting themselves into eating enough food for a period of time that they can make great progress so it's just like it's it's like this obsession with wanting to stay the same leanness while gaining muscle and just which isn't that realistic or optimal I guess um and yeah like looking for ways to do that like oh if I take this supplement will it like allow me to like you know gain muscle while staying at the same level of leanness like all of these things that people try to do they really try to jump through hoops to make that happen where if they just you know went in a surplus for a while and cut at a later point they would probably make a lot a lot better gains yeah all very very good points that, that people tend to make mistakes on uh, i'd agree yeah with them all um so the ones we can throw in there like people not i mean outside of the nutrition hierarchy which i kind of interrupted you on rebecca so you, you were making your way through it and then i've taken us off on this tangent but yeah like like overemphasizing timing over say calories and protein intake i know dean was saying that people make the mistake of 
going too long between meals and not supporting them, that's true as well. Um, so obviously you're going to see both sides of this generally. Mm. Um, but yeah, not, not paying attention to hydration, I think is another one. Um, people walking around kind of low level dehydrated, definitely not good for your strength performance and therefore not going to be good for your muscle building. Um, and just keeping it to nutrition. So, you know, we won't talk about kind of not recovering properly outside of training and eating, you know, so won't go into like the sleep points, but you know, that is there managing stress and, and so on. So mm-hmm. no, they're mm-hmm. all really good um, things for people to think about. And yeah, definitely that one of like trying to stay perma lean. And I think yeah, what you, what you can tie into that, to some extent is, is people eating too cleanly as well. If they're struggling to put on mass and trying to do it all through like quote unquote clean food, and then just not it's making it such a struggle to hit the calories that they need to actually get some growth going on. So um, that, that's another one. I suppose like as a, on a grander scale, not having some objective feedback for all this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. so people saying like, oh, I eat loads, but I can't put on weight. It's like, well, how much do you eat? It's like, oh, I don't know. Like, well, you need to have some sort of gauge or reference point for, okay, this is roughly how much I'm eating now. This yields this result or not. Uh, okay, if it doesn't yield the result, then I will change this and then use outcome-based decision-making to tweak things as I go along. But people just yeah. kind of winging it and saying like yeah just ate loads yesterday and it's like well what about today and tomorrow and the day after and the day after that mm-hmm. um you need to have some sort of way to kind of gauge that stuff um, yeah i think that kind of ties into another issue which is it's not just to do with like nutrition lifting it's kind of anything but like people want to see it change pretty quickly so even if it comes to a nutrition change that they're trying to implement often people don't stick with it for long enough to actually see if it's paying off and they're not tracking it like you say to actually figure out like okay is this doing me is it is it, i've increased my protein by 30 grams a day like is that actually what it, what needs to happen? Is, am i feeling better am i recovering better do i have less muscle soreness like what does that look like um so yeah people kind of nutrition like making nutrition change like it takes time to see that come into effect lifting also takes a lot of time to see to see progress if you're past the the newbie stage um so yeah like giving giving enough time is probably a mistake that people make as well or well not giving enough time yeah yeah it's a painfully slow process building muscle um i think because i got a question there a couple of weeks back about rates of weight gain that i would recommend um for anyone that's building muscle um so like if you are uh um we still there yeah sorry i got i got signed out of my zoom there for a second um yeah so i uh got that question based on muscle gain um and i said if you're a beginner probably about 1.5 percent of your body weight increase per month then if you're more advanced 0.5 percent body weight increase per month so like in the middle of that is a one percent increase in body weight per month for muscle gain whereas if we relate that back to fat loss you could feasibly lose one percent of your body weight per week and mm-hmm. that would be decent like fairly reasonable progress so that's that's a big difference in changes in body mass when we look mm-hmm. at muscle gain versus fat loss and that's why i think some people like they are in the perpetual fat loss phase because it's more immediately rewarding versus the muscle gain which as i say is glacial in some cases yeah i mean you can take those numbers and half them for women like the the rate of muscle gain for women is even slower and it can be depressing like I'm, I'm bulking right now. And like, it's uncomfortable. Like, you know, that you're going to gain muscle really slowly. You know that you've gained weight and some of it this fast, like it's really like mentally challenging. Um, but like, you, you just need to know, like when you, when you have confidence that like you're, you're the things that you're implementing have evidence behind them, you know, that it's going to work. Like you're doing the right things you're putting in the work it's a bit uncomfortable but like it's paying off in the long run like you are you're seeing progress in the gym as well which helps like you can see your lifts increase you might notice a little bit of muscle gain over time but like it's a really long process and you should always be spending a lot longer uh gaining muscle or maintaining in a maintenance phase than you are cutting um and i i can speak for myself i spent way too many years doing the opposite i spent most of the year trying to lose fat 
and not enough trying to gain muscle um because you just want to be lean all the time like we've all been there but it's like you just need to slip that and it sucks it takes a lot of time it can be uncomfortable but it, it does pay off in the end yep yes indeed um do we want to review the questions that we may have got submitted um, Look at my phone time there. Good, ti- good timekeeping still, still yes. only one question in at the moment um, oh, that's annoying but it's my fault because I, I should have put it up yesterday which would have given people 24 hours to get their questions in but should I go we, we'll probably have you on again Rebecca so we'll, we'll, we'll be a little bit more uh, time conscious the next time and, and get, a, get a question sticker box use your 16,000 followers as well rather yeah. than my measly 2700 or whatever it is i I mean if you want i can go open the q a box from saturday because i answered maybe half the questions that i got um because i'm terrible at instagram but no that's fine i'm totally happy to come back you're not terrible at instagram it's just it's not actually your job and your line of work to do nutrition stuff right so we'll all know but like you're like okay i'm gonna do a q a and then you like get all the questions you're like oh, i don't want to answer all of these i'll just do half <laughs> like it's my own fault <laughs> well then you just do the thing like what well, alan does like pick the top five or whatever that's um, what i try to do i'm like which one of these have i not answered like 20 times before and then the also what creatine, like, you haven't answered much right yeah what's creatine never heard of it um and then like the ones that like will help the most people that are like oh that's an interesting one that like other people might get information from so yeah yeah uh we so we did get a question though so mm. yeah i'd let's... say by the time by the time we all answer this will be will be will be time it'll be time to wrap up mm. um but the question comes in how did you guys feel starting out on your career working with people in nutrition um so we i think we all have like some some interesting stories around that but we'll let you start rebecca since you are our guest for today but i don't, I don't work in nutrition i am underqualified to answer this question well um, talk about your general uh the general origins from your sort of qualification onwards because i think that's where you stopped um at the, yeah. earlier on how did i feel um it's kind of hard it's kind of hard to think back on how i felt i definitely felt like more confident that I had like the degree behind me but like I still I still felt like because for a while I was considering actually going into nutrition and doing like um in my spare time like so on weekends or something one-to-one consultation Mm. and you guys will be able to speak more to this but like that really I found that really nerve-wracking um like doing doing that when I've never done it before um having like just you know got my certification the idea of like real people consulting with me and I had to help them with their problems or like their nutrition goals or whatever it was like it's really intimidating because like people are you putting a lot of trust um and you have a lot of responsibility um so yeah it freaked me out <laughs> but I didn't end up doing it I was going I was thinking about it quite strongly but um I would have burned out if I worked both week weekdays and weekends um maybe in the future though but yeah I think it was intimidating more than anything else yeah like I suppose that what, what you said like if because it is, uh, it's a softer science, or at least there's an element of softness to nutrition versus like a harder science, like physics or something like that. There is that element of you're going to have to have good communication skills. You're going to have to, you're going to have to speak to people, listen to them, um, not just tell them what to do and be a drill sergeant, although that is the approach of some people. Um, but yeah, like I would be, I would have I would have had similar sentiments um, when I started. Like I was a PT first, um, and then I got my qualification, uh, and I was doing like consultations as a personal trainer. Um, but a lot of them were still kind of focused around nutrition because you know most of the time, whenever you're working with people in the gym about exercise, you have them at a barbell or or a machine or whatever it is. But if you're speaking to them in the office, you're doing some sort of an assessment with them or you're talking to them about their food um and i definitely think it is you know because you have a variety of all these different issues that could come up not just the case of i know we've been speaking a lot about protein today or calories most of the time it's not just that like you're just not again eating enough protein there's all sorts of other things going on um and that can be 
it can be scary and, and anxiety provoking for somebody that is just getting into the field because um, whenever I think this is actually Fiona that I was speaking to this about whenever uh, the three of us went for coffee, Brian, like a month back, uh, a month or so back, we were kind of talking about how there's an almost like a counseling element to it, or there is a counseling element to it. Um, and, you know, dealing with the complexity of those kinds of issues. And then where along the spectrum do you refer out to somebody that, you know, is going to help them further? There is that kind of, there is that sort of, uh, it's, it's a scarier element to it. But I think, again, as you were saying earlier about exposure therapy for ladies that are trying to get involved in the weights, it's just a case of just getting after it and talking to people. Um, but also being clear on where you're kind of, where, where do you stand? Where is my scope of practice? Um, and, and when would it be time for me to, to say to this person, look, there's another practitioner that could help you better than I can. Um, and then it's also like an aspect of it is as well, when you start out first as a, as a personal trainer or a coach or a nutritionist, you're kind of this blank slate. You have general knowledge, but nothing hyper-specific. Um, you know, like, for example, like I'm doing a performance nutrition diploma at the moment. So like sports nutrition after my qualification, it was touched on. Yes, and the, the principles and the fundamentals are there. But in terms of a very specialized knowledge, it does require you to at least go off and do a lot more uh, reading and further continuous development on that topic in combination with sort of working with people on the fly. Um, so, yeah, like it is, it's, I would agree with you that it is, there is an element of anxiety that goes into it and um, because you have to sort of work with human beings and, and the complexity of us as creatures as well. Um, but it does kind of, you just need to sort of get into it, get after it and continue learning and continue adjusting as you go. Like if you feel like you've made a mistake with somebody, um, which you inevitably will, um, be cognizant of that and sort of say, right, where did I go wrong? Why did I not get a result with this person? Um, what can I do to stop that happening or potentially stop that happening in the future? Um, so that's kind of my mindset around it and, and kind of how I felt about things as I, as, I, as I have moved along and I'm moving along through this career. So, Yeah, like you can only be so good when you're real green, like at, uh, going into the field. Um as you said, Dean, you have you have a general knowledge base, but you've applied none of it in in practice, right? So in, in those situations, you see a lot of people recommending, and I probably agree with this. Is like you know, get your friends on board, get like I wouldn't say like close family members on board because that can be a tricky one, but potentially family members on board. Get people on that you can coach essentially or work with for free, just to get some practice with it. Um, you know, I've always worked as part of a team in some capacity. So like there's always, there's a nice element there where, you know, you know, you have, you know, you have the team to talk to if you get stuck and, and maybe one of them will have some ideas and help you out. But, you know, maybe you don't have a team, maybe you are working for yourself as a lot of people are in this situation, but, you know, try and build out a network of other professionals that you can say, you know, people that you look up to or your peers that maybe know more, about certain issues than, than you do and try and, you know, learn from them as well. Um, and yeah, like you're probably going to make mistakes along the way. And I think be, being aware and not, not biting off more than you can chew, especially in the initial stages or even just as a general client template. Like, you know, when I started coaching people, I would have been very comfortable with the whole, body composition change or improving someone's overall diet quality. That's, that was kind of bread and butter stuff. But if you'd put me in week one saying, Hey, Brian, here's this disordered eating case that I now do loads of at this point, like I would have felt pretty stressed about that. I would have felt probably pretty overwhelmed. So there's always an element of easing your way into that stuff. Cause you can't just, you can't just turn it away all the time. Right. You can't just be like, no, I'm never. Well, obviously you can, it's whatever you want to do, but there's an element of stepping outside your comfort zone a little bit. Right. If you're actually going to get some experience with this stuff and there's always going to be a bit of a transition period where you're not as good as you would like to be in that area, but you can at least do no harm. Like that should always be the, the bottom line. So if you go in and then try some things, do no harm. That's, 
and, and be helpful. Like that's, that's good. Uh, as you move along the career, you, you start to succumb to the Dunning-Kruger effect where the more, you know, the real, you realize how little you actually know. And then this can just create some existential angst about the whole thing because you're like, Jesus Christ, there's so much I don't know about all these different topics. Um, so what do I do? But then you just, you know, you get stuck in and you try to do your best to learn more about it, except that you won't know everything far from it, but you will be a lot better off than the person who's, you know, at the kind of near the axis end of the Dunning-Kruger where they know a little bit and they just think they have it all figured out. So you there who's way over along the um, x-axis thinking like, geez, I fucking know nothing. You actually know a lot, right? You're just conscious of, of how much there is to know about. Um, and, you know, by that reason, you'll, you'll be pretty good at what you're doing. Uh, I can remember distinctly having a conversation with one of my best friends. Um, this was at a point where I just finished the precision nutrition level one, uh, you know, so I was graduated from college and I'm done nutrition. I've done the PN level one and I was debating whether or not to do the PN level two or start working with people. All right. So there's this little bit of nervousness and imposter syndrome creeping in, creeping in where it's like, oh, if we just do another course, then, then I'll be ready. And then I can start coaching because I'll have more knowledge and more skills, which is true. But I was trying to weigh it up for myself at the time. You know, like, you know, am I just kind of kidding myself here or do I genuinely just want to go and get some more skills? Or am I just trying to procrastinate and actually getting out there and working with people? And this was probably a bit of both. Uh, but my friend said to me, he's like, look, there's, there's so much garbage nutrition information being spewed out all across the internet. Like you need to get in there and start mixing it up and start actually helping people because you have the capacity to do so mm. and you actually care and you're actually put a huge amount of time into your craft right so you need to stop sitting here and not engaging with people and helping people out and just go get get into the mix because there are so many people who have no qualms about just running headlong into it with fuck all ability or caring for people or, or any of that stuff so um that's one point like I, that hopefully sums up a lot of how I felt at the time to answer the question. Um, but then as a funny anecdote, I can remember like doing my first ever uh, client questionnaire um, with the company I was working for before this. Uh, I remember I happened to be on a, on a business class flight to Los Angeles um, that I'd been upgraded to, not by my own means, but I'd been upgraded to. Uh, my ex-girlfriend at the time worked cabin crew and the flight was pretty empty. So I got upgraded. So I was there like business class on my laptop doing the, the questionnaire. And I was like, yeah, online coaching life. This is pretty sweet. This is how it's going to look from here on out. This is my first client. It's only going <laughs> to, it's only going to go up from here. Um, which obviously it did not just lead to just business class flights constantly. Um, but that was, that was funny uh, to mm. reflect on. And that was enjoyable, obviously. So, yeah. Um, that is all I have to say on that question. Mm. Um, Something that came into my head there, though, is like the problem with being, I think, more balanced and not a complete fucking quack when it comes to nutrition is it's harder to market yourself and thus make money you know um because like if we were all just like you know we're a coach yeah and you know just i wish you a sea of fat and putting all these <laughs> carnivore diet kind of things out there it would be easy to just sort of like here's my book on uh, the carnivore diet or here's this ketogenic supplement and it'd be so much easier to like make money from that whereas like because there's so much it depends and oh, we're not sure about that. Oh, we don't actually have any research to suggest that that's true yet. Or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe, or it's like, there's all these other different elements um, and you can't often make super concrete sweeping conclusions like these other agents do. Um, it can be hard to initially get your feet off the ground and start making some money um, mm -hmm. and, and, and doing the marketing. Like, you know, it's, it's, one i suppose tricky part of it being uh you know in, in some way moral having some sort of a moral <laughs> compass 
<laughs> I think there's something here though about like just developing your identity like if it, maybe it's your brand as well but like who are you as a coach like who who do you appear as to like maybe your Instagram following and to your clients because I'm, like lots of people have like a persona like it's not it's not their like true them it's more like a version of them that they will go in, into social media with and to their clients and I found that like you guys can tell me if you've experienced this but I found people that I know who just come out of a certification or a course that they've done. They don't, they don't know what their identity is. Like they don't have one. They haven't worked. They don't know like how to market themselves. So they almost like adopt an identity of somebody in the industry that they admire, whether that be like the person who owns their course or some something like that. So they'll like the Instagram content that they post is, is almost identical. And you just, it, it's it's repetitive like you see multiple uh, graduates do it and it's 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 annoying because you're like no like just just find yourself and be authentic don't just try to copy somebody else's identity but it, it's it's quite prevalent even in the evidence-based crowd where shockingly like the real evidence-based people are like yeah we don't know it's really hard to say like this is kind of what we're seeing in the evidence blah, 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 like really um neutral and balanced whereas some people who come out of some evidence-based courses are just like red meat is fine and salt is fine and don't worry about it all of that is rubbish and like you, you, they go really hard with the evidence um to like mirror maybe an identity that they admire so like you can also kind of see it go that way as well where people people are trying to be be somebody else when they first start out because they haven't discovered like who are they and how, how do they want to market themselves online yeah i think something that just came into my head that that sort of reminded me what you just said there is when I came out of my uh, qualification, initially, whenever I was talking about research and being evidence-based, it was like systematic review, meta-analysis, RCT, and everything below that is nonsense. Mm-hmm. And then it took me to, it took me a couple of years and to get involved in Alinea Nutrition and Alan Flanagan stuff to realize that, no, wait, hold on, like the, the actual prospective and retrospective cohorts and the observational studies are very valid and you know Mm. it's here's why rcts can actually be no good for for nutrition science and stuff like that so it can be like yeah in in a lot of these courses some of these people can just go out and it's like yes yeah it's like somebody (laughs) somebody else told me that this is evidence so like that's what i so i'm evidence-based because that person's told me that that, that's the evidence it's like it's so backwards but yeah i like i'm there with you like we did the same course i learned similar material um like there's a a couple of things that were covered in the course that even though there might be some evidence for them there's more evidence against them and i didn't learn that until again like after you just have to continue learning and find sources like alinea that kind of guide you to the light yeah sure yeah all right um shall we wrap it up that was mm-hmm. an that was an excellent chat i think i'd like to go on longer but yeah we're i'm under some time constraints today i'm you sure rebecca is shoot also. some balls mm. yeah absolutely shoot um, some ball but yeah i'm absolutely happy to come back on good banter mm. as well so anytime we'll have a sequel we'll have a sequel to this podcast <laughs> yeah we've done my origin story now for the action <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Um, uh, yeah. Sound sound for joining us, Rebecca. Really appreciate it. Um, it's great to have you on, and mm-hmm. we'll have you on again soon. So, mm-hmm. so uh, if you if somebody wants to see your content and potentially DM you, but questions relating to creatine, um, <laughs> where where might they go and do that, Rebecca? They can find me on Instagram. So my handle is T Triceps. So it's T like cup of tea dash to to dash triceps um but they can't dm me because i as i mentioned before we started recording don't check my dms or maybe i do and then i forget to reply so it's yeah uh but i do a q a most saturdays so that is the place that you can come and ask me about creatine <laughs> okay any anything else you want to direct people at or that it that good no i don't have anything else i don't have tiktok i'm not down with the youth or anything i just instagram so that's it sweet all right then um okay we should let you go then thank you you sound unsure but yes thank you both so much for having (laughs) me. no sorry i i can't remember if we were going to wrap up uh as well and and plug our things or 
what do we do with this again, Dean? Well, <laughs> because Rebecca doesn't do any coaching, we can plug our own coaching. So yeah. Brian, if somebody, if somebody wants to build muscle and get their nutrition in order, mm. where do they go and what do they do? Okay, so you can work with myself and Dean, uh, featuring special guest Rebecca as a friend of Brian and Dean, uh, triagemethod.com, right? Triage Method is the company we work for. Everybody's listening to this will maybe not know that because we could get a lot of people listening because Rebecca's on here. So if you don't know of us, uh, check out Triage Method on Instagram, check out triagemethod.com. You can see the services that we offer there, which is online nutrition coaching, online personal training, education services for professionals, and lots, lots more. Uh, lots of stuff there on the website. Tons of good content on the social media. Good content on our, on our social media as well. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in any of those services, you can go to the website or you can shoot myself or Dean a DM. We do check our DMs and get back to them uh we are not that popular yet that we uh can't do that so uh and it's also our job where it's it's just not rebecca's job so yeah i think that covers it yeah yeah sweet rebecca thanks for coming on um and guys thank you for listening we'll catch you in the next one bye